see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We're going to look at the uh, first four verses of 1 Corinthians chapter 3. That's all we're going to look at today. Uh, it should, should be pretty, uh, pretty contained right there. But I think it's important for us to, to see these four verses in the context. Remember, we're talking about the first three chapters, so we're going all the way to the end of chapter 3 in our course of study here. And um, we're talking about the unity that we have in Jesus. That's, that's the whole point of this sermon, too, is what we have in Jesus. And Paul, in this passage, or in, 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 in just in our four, four verses, but really in all of this book, he is talking to Christians. I want you to understand that. If you're listening to what I'm about to say, everything I'm going to say here, Paul is talking to believers. He's talking to people who have been miraculously and amazingly saved by the grace of God. Now, the reason I emphasize that is sometimes we start reading a passage like chapter 3, verse 1, where he talks about your carnal and all this other stuff. Some people start thinking, well, maybe they're not believers. No, no, no. You were to go back to, in fact, let's do it. You get the Bible open, go back to chapter 1 and verse 2. Who is he writing to? I always want you to center this when you're reading the Scripture. Who is it written to? What does he say? Chapter 1 and verse 2. It's under the church, unto the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus, our Lord, both theirs and ours. Now, if they ain't saved, nobody's saved. You understand what he just said? He said, y'all are sanctified. You're called. You're, you call on the name of Jesus. So he's talking to Christian folks. He's talking to Christian folks. He even calls them in four places. If you count chapter 3, verse 1, he calls them, in the text so far, he calls them four places. He calls them brothers. So I want to emphasize to you that when we begin here in chapter 3, verse 1, we're not changing the conversation. We're not switching to a new audience here. If anything, he's finding his way back to where he started. If you were to go back, I won't make you turn there, but to chapter 1 and verse 12, you remember where he is talking about you guys have all these divisions. Some of you have fallen after Paul. Some of you are after Apollos. Some of you are after Cephas. Remember that? He's actually bringing the conversation back to that point. He, he, he opened it up there. So, so all I'm trying to say is he's not talking to a new group of people, but he is still taking issue with them. Sometimes I think we get this wrong idea that well, I'm a Christian, so everything's set now. Nothing's ever going to be wrong. That's not the case. We still need some, <laughs> as my mom and daddy used to do to me when I was a, a little older than I'd like to admit, um, whoop me every now and again. Give me a whooping. Set me in the right direction. Get me right. That's what he's doing to the Corinthian church. He says in chapter 1 and verse 10, I want you to have the same mind. I want you to have this same mind, specifically the mind of Christ. Chapter 2, verse 16, he says we have the mind of Christ. That's the mind he wants us to have. And that mind only comes by having a mind that is given to us by the Holy Spirit. Chapter, uh, uh, chapter 2 and verse 12. But even so, these people are, as he's mentioned definitely in chapter 1, these people are contentious. They're fighting with each other. These people are clicked up. These little groups within the church that are, that are all following different directions, all have their own little agendas. And he says, this is not good. You're valuing what the world values. You're praising what the world praises. And that's a bad thing. That's what's the problem here. Last week, if you recall what I preached about, the last half of chapter 2, he's talking about worldly thinking, that natural thinking. He uses that word in verse 12 of chapter 2. 
And he says, that's essentially the heart of the problem. But as we go to chapter 3 and verse 1, where he says, Brethren, I could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal. He uses the word carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. He says, when he says that word carnal, he's talking about flesh. He's talking about this, this body that we live in. That's the word that he means. He's talking about the flesh. So he's actually saying, yes, you have a thinking problem, church. Chapter 2, the last, last part of chapter 2. You've got a thinking problem. Your mind's wrong. You're getting your mind influenced by the wrong direction. Not the Spirit of God, but by this world. But now as he goes into chapter 3, he says, that issue from your brain, it has, as they say with cancer, they metastasize. They go into other parts of your body. That thinking problem has metastasized. It has now become a body problem. It is a living problem. It is a flesh problem. It's an acting problem. Your mind has been influenced by the world, and now you're living out what your mind is already thinking. You're actually doing according to the dictates of your flesh. And this, I want y'all to hear me say this, church. Listen to me very clearly. This is a natural progression. What you think eventually is going to be what you do. You might, might, might be able to hold it in your brain and keep your face straight while we're together every now and again. But eventually, what you're thinking, what's in your heart, Jesus says in, in, in Luke, uh, what is it, 645, he says, what is in your heart, it's got to be abundance of your heart, the mouth speaks. It's going to come out eventually. It's going to come out. This is a natural progression. Worldly thinking always turns into worldly living. So we're going to talk for just a few minutes about the problem of worldly living. We talked last week about the problem of worldly thinking. We talked about what the problem of worldly thinking, uh, living. You see, the Corinthian church did the same things we do. Here at Ellisburg Baptist Church, you know some of the things we do? We, 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 we do Christian things. We preach. We pray. We praise the Lord. We, we do outreach. We have the Lord's table, the Lord's supper here. We baptize people. We, we do all of these things. That's exactly what they did. They did those things. That's what churches do. But also, like us, and we like them, they were influenced by this world thinking. They were living out this world thinking, not influenced by the gospel of Jesus Christ and living out the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when they did that, there were disastrous effects. So today, what I want to do is I want to talk to you about the problem of worldly living. Would you mind if I take a just a pause right here and ask the Lord to meet with us and talk to us through this word? Would you pray with me, please? Let's pray. Father, I'm trying to get these people to see what they probably don't want to see, and I know I don't want to see in myself. Sometimes my actions, often my actions are out of line because I think it's out of line. But I'm doing the wrong things, and these things are not only not helping me, they're actually disastrous for the cause of Jesus. Lord, I pray that you will, through your Holy Spirit, not through my browbeating or anything like that, but through Holy Spirit's power, that you will use me, overwhelm my spirit, completely cover me over, but ultimately speak to your people. I know that you died for these things. You love them. Would you please please me through your message? Time to pray for their hearts. I'm asking this in Jesus' name. Chapter 3, in verse 1, Paul says, Brethren, 
I could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal. Because I want to talk to you about the things of God, as, as he writes in chapter 2, the deep things of God. I want to tell you about all this stuff. I, I, want, to, I want to get into it where, where it really, where the, as they say, the rubber hits the road. I want, to, I want to talk to you about all the problems in the world and talk to you about how the, the gospel touches every need. I want to talk to you about that. I want you to understand the spiritual implications of the physical things that you're dealing with. I want you to see those things. But he says, I can't talk to you that way. Now, it's not because they're not saved. I hope I made that clear to you. They are saved. It's not because they don't want spiritual things. If there's anything about the Corinthian church, they are a spirit-filled church. They're actually on that borderline, in my opinion, if they were a 2021 church, Corinth Baptist Church might have a little charismatic in them. They might be a little bit spiritual in that way. The point I'm trying to get across is they want spiritual things. They like spiritual things. That's not why he doesn't want to talk to them about it. He says, I can't talk to you about spiritual things. I can't talk to you like spiritual people, but I have to talk to you like carnal people. People who are living worldly. They're so taken. This is the problem. They're so taken, so taken with the world philosophy that they can't Handle. Look at what he says there. They, they, I can't do this to you. He, he even says in chapter or verse two, he says, I, "I fed you with milk and not with meat. For hitherto you were not able to bear it. Neither are you now able." He says, "You can't handle it. You can't even handle what I need to give to you. The deep things of God. You can't handle that." Now, why would that be? He doesn't exactly explain all what that means, but maybe it would be that uh, they just wouldn't understand it. That's possible. It may be that uh, they would they would hear it, but they wouldn't be able to obey it. Maybe that's what it was. It's also possible that when when he actually were to break it down for them, they would look at him like, as my daddy says sometimes, a new calf looking at a new fence. What in the world is that? And he says you can't handle it. You're not ready for it because you're so ingrained in this world. You're not only thinking like the world, you're acting and living out the way the world does. You are not ready for this. In fact, he says, I can't talk to you as the spiritual, but as the carnal, even as babes in Christ. Now, he uses a word, babes, there. The word babes in the King James there, it, it, the idea is a baby. And that's what the word is, a baby. Often, Paul will talk to Christians, and he's talking to them as, sometimes he uses it's sort of an endearing term, like my little children, my children, something like that. And those are intended to be kind of, a, like I said, endearing terms. They're my children. I'm, I'm, I'm being, being sympathetic to you. But when he uses the word baby, he's not being affectionate. He is saying they are literally not grown up. They are small infants at this point. Now, there is a time to understand that. You get saved. You've been, you've been brought from darkness into light. There's a place. You are an infant. You are an infant. Just like when we bring home a little baby from the hospital and that mother has delivered that little baby, you expect it to be something you can hold in your hands, right? It's a little baby. You expect to have to give it milk. You expect to have to change its diapers. These are the things you expect to have to do, right? But do understand, this is written several years after this church has come about. These are no longer little infants. If I were to come to that same home that they just brought that little baby home and they're, they're cuddling on it and he's cooing and all that stuff that you do with a little baby, but I come back 20 years later 
and you're still ooh, ooh, ah, ah about a 20-year-old in your hand. <laughs> right now, if I'm talking to you, it's a little comical, right? But if that were to actually happen, I'd be worried about y'all. I'd be upset. What's wrong in this situation? This little baby would be, his or her growth would be stunted. There's a problem. I don't know if it's mama's problem, if it's daddy's problem. I don't know if the baby has health problems, emotional problems, physical problems. I don't know where the problems are, but there's a problem, right? The same thing is going on with this church. He says, I can't talk to you as spiritual, as people who are naturally, as they should, maturing. He says, I have to talk to you like little babies. There's been no maturation. There is a problem. There's something wrong in the mind. There's something wrong in the body. There's something wrong here. Even worse, if you go to verse 2, look what he says there. I have fed you with milk and not with meat. For hitherto you are you you were not able to bear it, neither yet now are you able. He's saying, Listen, you want me to come in here. The reason he talks about the meat here is a suggestion that these people are saying, Paul, we're ready for some good stuff now. We're ready for some solid food. Give us some steak, give us some potatoes, give us some good stuff. We want the good stuff. Do you know why they wanted the good stuff? Because they're spiritually arrogant. They were so arrogant as to think that the stuff that Paul had been giving them wasn't the good stuff. Go back to what he says there. He says, I fed you with milk. Now, what do you think Paul might have fed him with? The milk. What is that milk? It's a basic thing, right? Milk is a basic thing. You feed the babies. You don't feed them the complicated carbohydrates. And, you know, you don't give them a, you know, a, a, a baked potato and a, a T-bone steak. You don't give that to a baby. We understand it because we need simple foods, right? That's what the babies need. And, and Paul's giving them the milk. So what are those basic, simple things he's giving them? Well, he's giving you a hint in chapters 1 and 2, Christ and Him crucified. That's what he's given to them. Now, can I just go ahead and tell you, Christ and Him crucified, while it is the basic message of the Christian, there is nothing deeper and richer and fuller than Christ and Him crucified. Paul is not saying there's the crucifixion, the gospel, and then there's this other stuff over here. The church in Corinth thought that. They said, oh, we got that. We got the gospel stuff now. Now give us the deep stuff. Tell us when the end of times are going to come. What's the mark of the beast look like? This is the stuff they're talking about. They want the crazy stuff. That's what they're asking about. And Paul, Paul's saying, hang on a minute. Y'all are so arrogant as to think that that's the milk and this other stuff's the meat. You don't understand that the message of the cross, the message of Christ's love, the basic things of Jesus are, yes, they are milk, but that, that the meat is simply living that stuff out, letting it play out in your life. Let me say it another way to you. Some of y'all, and I'm talking to y'all now, I'm not talking about Corinthians, I'm talking about Ellisville Baptist Church. Some of y'all are in your mind, and you can say amen or ouch or oh me or nothing if you want to, whatever you want to say. I know this to be a fact. Some of y'all, you can say to me, "Well, Matthew, I don't need. I got the gospel nailed. I can, I can answer that. I got a hundred on that test. Now move me to the next thing. The next thing is the last thing. It's the gospel. It's now taking that gospel you say you know and believe and understand and appreciate and living that gospel, actually obeying that gospel." sharing that gospel, allowing it to permeate and transform your life. Not simply having something that you can pass on a test, but something that is actually 
who you are and what you live out. That the meat is the working out of the milk. That's what they miss, and I would dare say that's what a lot of Christians today are missing. And instead, what we're saying is we're saying, we, 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 got the, we got the milk, we're done with that. We want to go over here with other stuff. And you know what the devil's glad to do? He's glad to put that Big Mac meal on your plate and say, this is the meat now, buddy, that jumps food from the devil. This is the meat, and we're like ready to dig in. Aren't we ready to dig in? Because we want the next level stuff. When the gospel saying, you know, go back to the basics, understand it, and don't just understand it, but let it permeate your life. Let it change who you are. That's when I talked about, I touched on this a little bit last week at the end, where, you know, there's all these, are these problems and all these, these challenges in our community. Some of y'all know them better than I do. Families that are broken apart, uh, children who don't have good families, good, good parents taking care of them, uh, uh, people who are part of churches who don't teach them the gospel. There are people who are not able to go to work. There are people who have, are abused in our community. These are real issues. And we've got to take the meat is to say, how does the gospel apply to those things? That's the meat. It's not a whole other ballgame. It's the same thing. And they were missing that. What I'm trying to get you to see is because they were so dismissive of the basic things of God, they never saw, they never got any spiritual growth. So their worldly living stunted their spiritual growth. I don't want y'all to have spiritual growth. But you know how you're going to get that? You know how you're going to grow? You're going to have to embrace the simple and the basic things of God's Word. It's not about reading a hundred books. It's not about going and, 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 and taking a, a course in some a seminary somewhere. That's not how you go deeper and get grow. You're just going to have to consume God's Word. The way Peter writes it in 1 Peter 2, 2, he says, As newborn babes, Desire the sincere milk of the Word. Why? Because that's how you're going to grow. If you're going to grow, it's literally getting to God's Word, understanding that Jesus is the point of this. You do know that that's the center of this book. Everything kicks and ties and connects in this book to Jesus Christ and what He did on the cross. If you look at this Bible without that in the middle of it, you're going to miss everything that's there. But if you will look at Jesus at the center of this Scripture, then you're going to not only understand some things, but it's actually going to change how you live. It's going to transform your life. So we have to take in this Word. We have to meditate on this Word. We have to obey this Word. You want to grow spiritually? I can't imagine there's anybody here that doesn't want to say, yes, I'd like to grow spiritually. Well, how are you going to do that? I can tell you right now, it's going to be, you've got to stop the Despising the basic things of God. Stop thinking you've got to go to some next level. No, the basic things of God. I, I, I get a little frustrated with myself a little bit on this. If I could just take what I know to be true of the Bible, just the, the handful of things that I can think on, that I know are absolutely true, and I could just take those and obey them. You know what? I'd probably be doing all right. But you know what I tend to focus on? And I bet a few of y'all do too. It's those handful of things, more than a handful, big old basket full of stuff over here I don't understand. That's why I don't want to know that. No, quit despising the basic things. Because even Paul says in the, just a chapter prior, or two chapters prior to this, he says, listen, it is the simple things, it's the basic things, it's the things that the world despises and considers foolish. Those are the things that God uses to transform the world. So we've got to quit despising basic things. 
will never go deeper, will never grow more, until and unless we embrace and enjoy the milk of God's Word. I want you to see verse, uh, verse 3. He goes on to say, For ye are yet carnal. He continues on. He says, Listen, guys, you, you've got this, this attitude. You're living a life that is living out the world. That's, that's carnal. That worldly living. You are yet carnal. Why? For whereas there is among you envying and strife and division, are you not carnal and walk as men? He says here, you've got some traits that are marking you as carnal because he says you've got envy. You know what envy is? It's this idea of going and desiring what other people have, but greedily going after it. Like if you desire it, you need it. You're trying to grab it what's not yours. Strife, this bitter and this heated conflict among people. And divisions, that idea of giving up, clicking up, and, and segmenting yourself into different groups. All of that is, he says there, are you not carnal? This is what people do. This is what sinful people do. This is what people whose lives are influenced by the world. This is what they do. That's natural and normal for the world to have envy and strife and division. That's normal. It's normal. And it's all one of the things that kind of the through thread to all of it. It's all very self-centered. I want what I want, even though it's yours. I want it. Envy. I want what I want, and I'm glad to fight you for it. Strife. That's what, that's what that is. I want what I want, and I like you because you want what I want. That's division. It's all about what I want, right? That's what it's all about. So this worldly living, it starts to fuel my selfish interests. And what I need y'all to understand about this idea of selfish interest, it is particularly unspiritual. Clearly, right? Unspiritual. But it's more than just unspiritual. It is, some of y'all think about things like the Antichrist. Y'all know that? Y'all know the term Antichrist? Y'all know this, right? Antichrist? Now, who is Antichrist? I want y'all to know this. What I'm telling you, selfishness, is the mark of Antichrist behavior. This is the mark of it. I want you to, if you want to flip over here, feel free to. I'm in Philippians chapter 2. There's a passage I want to read to you. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. He says in verse 1, Philippians chapter 2, verse 1, if there's any consolation in Christ, if there's any hope of anything good coming from Jesus, if you've got hope in your heart because of what Jesus has done, if there's any comfort of love, if the love of Christ has given you anything, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, if there's any loving kindness, any mercy from God, he says, Paul's writing to the Philippian church here, he says, Fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one cord of one of mine. By the way, that's very similar to what he's talking to the Corinthian church about. He says, listen, if God's done anything for you, in so many words, could y'all at least keep yourself on one mind? That's what he's saying. But he says here, the opposite of what one mind is. Look at what he says. This is in verse 3. He says, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. He's literally saying that if you think God did anything for you, the best way for you to live that out is to quit thinking about yourself and find somebody else to try to lift up. 
That's literally what he's saying. He even goes on in verse 5. I'm skipping over verse 4. In verse 5 he says, Let this mind, the mind that we just described, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. He's saying that's the kind of mind that God had for you. This world's philosophy, it is all about getting what's mine. I guarantee you, depending on your, there might be some exceptions y'all could throw at me, but I would say about 99% of the time in your workplace, you are considered successful because you do better than everybody else. Because you step on the other guy and you get to the next rung of the ladder. That's considered success. And if it's not you succeeding, because somebody else did. And they did it to you. That's what this world's philosophy is about. But Jesus' example and His grace to me and His grace to you is about sacrificing self. That's what Paul continues to talk about in Philippians 2. About Him coming and robed in flesh as God Himself. He says he didn't think nothing of it. He said it was fine to lay aside His divinity or at least his, all the, the trappings of divinity. He was always God. Don't, don't, don't misunderstand me. But He laid aside the trappings of His divinity and became a man so that He could lay His life down for me and for you. That's what He did. That's what Jesus did. And He did it. He sacrificed Himself. He didn't have to do it. Most of us don't even appreciate what He did, but He still did it. Why did He do it? Because He is the epitome of what we're supposed to be as Christians. We've experienced His grace to us. Yet what do we do? Verse verse 3 of 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We're yet carnal. For whereas there is envying and strife and division, are we not yet carnal? And walk with me. This world's philosophy is all about getting mine, and that is not only unspiritual, but it is anti-Christ. It is actually fueling us and pointing us in the wrong direction. If I am to be like Christ, I have to live out the Spirit's thinking. You know what the Spirit's thinking tells me? It is nothing about what I want and what my desires are. It's all about what can I do to lift up my brother? What can I do to help that person who needs something? That's what the Spirit's thinking says, and I must live that out so that I can be like Christ. Worldly living says, well, what about you? What do you do? You think about yourself first. I don't know how y'all are. I know how I am. We all have personalities, right? My my personality is one of these where, because I'm a a nice guy. I don't know if y'all noticed that about me. I'm really a nice guy. And because I'm a nice guy, a lot of people mistakenly confuse my niceness for weakness. And sometimes they're right. That's the reality. Sometimes they're right. I am kind of can be a little weak sometimes. But that's what happens. And so because of that, because I'm that kind of person, I'm always on the lookout for that. I don't want somebody to run all over me, you understand. I don't want somebody to take, take, take something from me that's mine. So I'm always on the lookout for that. And I'm always concerned. I don't want them to take advantage of me. Do y'all ever feel that way? <laughs> okay, that's fine. I'll, I'll confess my sins in front of God and everybody. I'm always worried about that, that somebody's going to take advantage of me. Whether I'm talking about buying a car from somebody. I sold a car to a guy one time. And um, lots of details around the reasons and whys and the wherefores. But ultimately, I sold that car to him. And I walked away and I felt like I got ripped off. I don't know that I did. 
I just tell you, I always feel like that whenever I'm selling or buying something. I always feel like I'm getting ripped off, like they're going to take advantage of me. That's the way I feel. And I think that's how we think about when we're in the church, when we're in our lives. We always say, we're watching out for people to take advantage of us. What if I don't get my way? If I help him, I'm not going to get what I want. If I help her, then she's going to take advantage of my niceness. That's what we say, and that's what we think about. And can I just go ahead and give you a little bit of reassurance? That's perfectly natural and perfectly normal. But can I also give you this little bit of condemnation? That's not the spirit of Christ. The spirit of Christ. That's called carnal. That's called living out what this world thinking is. Spiritual thinking says we follow in the steps of Jesus Christ. We do right and we care for the souls of men no matter what it costs us. And can I go ahead and tell you, it will cost you something. If it doesn't cost you something, I'd check up and make sure you actually were helping anybody. You might have been looking for your own self. Because I can tell you, that's what happens when you do the right thing, when you actually care for people, you invest in people. And I'm telling you this, I want you to understand where I'm coming from. I'm coming from a man who has stood as a pastor of a church. I have invested in people. And those same people that I invested in come back and hurt me in the process. And you know what happens when that happens? You get mad about it. I'm still here mad thinking about it, if I'm honest with you. You get mad about it. And I can say that as a pastor. I bet y'all can say the same thing as just people, whether it's friends of yours or as, as uh, people that are in a Sunday school class or deacons. If you're serving as a deacon, I can guarantee you somebody said something to you that they ought not have said, even though you were trying your doggone level best to do the best you could. We get there and we invest in people. And they hurt us. They bite us back. And it makes us mad. But you know what Jesus did? He invested in this world. And he bled for this world. And he loves you anyway. And you know what you do, most of us? The best I can say is we don't appreciate it. Really? Really? A lot of us, from a spiritual perspective, we might as well have been right there with those people in the crowd spitting in his face and pulling his beard in his head. Because we do not love him the way we ought to love him. We don't appreciate it, but I'm trying to get you to see, not to make that your unappreciation, but his continual, his, his persistence to love no matter what. Because worldly thinking, worldly living rather, worldly living says it's all about me. Spiritual thinking says it's not about me. I'm going to follow in the footsteps of Jesus, even if they don't appreciate it, even if they don't understand Last verse, verse 4. I've got to be deep in this here. He says, For while one saith, I am of a Paul, and another, I am of a Paulus, are you not yet carnal? Paul gets back to that argument from the middle of chapter 1. He shows their divided mind. He shows their abuse of the gospel. And he is making a clear connection between these people who are divided up behind different groups, different leaders that they like, and he's saying there's a clear connection between that and worldly living. Be honest. Essentially, he's saying how you live, the way you operate, really shows what you really believe. You can say what you want to say, but the way you live, the way you talk, the way you walk, where you go, how you treat people, that shows me what's really in your mind, what's really in your heart. 
I'm going to use a word that y'all might not use every day, but sectarianism. Do y'all know what that is? Sectarianism. You might not. Fine if you don't. This idea that we're all grouped up in the religious world, different denominations, different different groups. And sectarianism is just worldly living in religious garb. Did you know that in North America alone, I'm not even talking about the rest of the world, I'm just talking about North America, there are 62 types, 62 types of Baptists. Baptists! <laughs> I mean, there's, there's, of course, Southern Baptists, and from my friends, and the Independent Baptists, and you know, there's the Missionary Baptists, and the Free Will Baptists, and I could go on, Primitive Baptists, and everything else. There's even one called, and I wrote it down because I didn't want to forget it, it's called the Two Seed in the Spirit Predestinarian Baptists. I mean, we get specific. And by the way, this is not a small group. There's like 100,000, if I remember right. It's like, I don't know, seven, ten church, uh, seven or ten churches, something like that. I can't remember the exact number. But it's not like one church. It's like there's several of these. This is the thing. But Paul writes in Ephesians 4, there is one body, one spirit, even as you're called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all, through all, and in you all. If there's one God, there's one faith, if there's one way to heaven, if that's all there is, explain to me somebody how we have 62 kinds of Baptists in North America. Somebody explain to me. I remember, and it's not just this one place, I just remember it hit me in this one place. We were up in, got somewhere near Sparta, North Carolina. And if you know that area, there's not a whole lot of people out there. There's just it's a lot of empty road, right? I mean, people are all up in hollers and hills and stuff. But you're riding around, and you don't see a house for miles. If you come to an intersection, you ain't seen a house forever. Come to an intersection, and there's four different churches, Baptist brands, and three different Methodists. Why is that? Because somewhere down the line, those were all probably one. And they decided to divvy up to different groups. One got mad about this thing and the next thing. They didn't want to do this. Another one wanted to do that. And so they just all decided, you know what, I'll take my little, my little toys and go to the other side of the road. And they all have, and I'm not making fun of them. I please don't understand. Please understand. We do, everybody, everybody's seen this. But what happens, they, they, they get their little group, and they've got 10 of them over here, and 12 of them over here, and 5 of them over here. And they're all singing the same song sheet, preaching the same Bible, Saying the same stuff, but they all can't get along enough to sit in the same house. Why is that? Paul said there's supposed to be one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. So if that's true, explain to me the church split. Explain to me the intro within a single church, the politics that we have, the power brokers, the, the family systems, the purse string holders, the, the people that you got to consult with before you do anything. Why is that? going on? Why is that going on? I heard the Bible say one body, one spirit, one God, one baptism, one faith. Why is that? What would Paul say if he were to come to 2021 and talk to 62 types of Baptists in North America? What would he say about that? I think he would say if you want unity as an individual body of believers, and I know we can't fix denominational history, I'm not asking for us to do that, but at least let's recognize the problem when we see it. 
at least let's recognize the problem when we see it. And we have an opportunity within this body of believers to see, listen, when we are following behind Paul and another one behind Apollos and another one behind Cephas, he says, that's carnal, that's worldly living. And if we want unity within our church, it's going to require us to embrace the spirit thinking, to abandon the world thinking. As churches who live in that worldly way, giving up behind people, we make the devil's job easy. In Luke, or John chapter 10, verse 10, he says that the thief comes to steal and to kill and destroy. And what we do is we just open the doors and say, yup, come on in, devil, we're ready for you to kill us. We're ready for you to hurt us. But if the Spirit, we follow after the Spirit, the Spirit's thinking points us to life and liberty. Because Jesus says that He's come to give life and give it more abundantly. We cannot be about what makes us feel good and what makes us happy. We have to be unified behind the crucified one. And that means Jesus Himself said in Mark chapter 8 and verse 34, Deny yourself, take up your cross, be ready to die. He said, you need to be ready to live. Give up your life for the church. Or for him. You need to give up your life for him. So I stand. I'm going to ask you as my invitation, are you ready to repent of your worldly living? Are you ready to repent of your worldly living? You may say, well, Matthew, I don't have anything wrong with me. Maybe that's true. I don't believe you. But maybe that's true. And if that's true, thank the Lord. He's already worked off all the kingdom. But if that's not the case, and you know better than anybody, maybe you haven't been growing spiritually, maybe you're more focused on what you want, or maybe you're worried about what feels good or what your traditions are more than what Christ has commanded is unity around the Savior. Why don't you come and say, Lord, forgive me. I'm ready to repent. I'm ready to do whatever it takes to provide that growth in my life, that unity in my church. Would you do that? Would you come? Father, please move among your people. Please help them to see that this world we live in is going to destroy us. We ask this in Jesus' name.